Greetings, friends. Future Andrew here, dropping into these past episodes to tell you thanks. Thanks for checking out RTAF. If you're valuing the show as a wellspring of inspiration and artistic fuel and would like to help keep the show going, you can find out more about how to do that at patreon.com slash podcast. Every little bit adds up and keeps me inspired to bring you quality content on a consistent basis. Thanks for listening, and stay creative. Salutations, my sweet creative friends, and welcome to another episode of RCAF Podcast. Thank you for being here. Quick PSA. Are you dabbing your paintbrush on your hand while you paint? Maybe to thin out the paint a little bit? Get the correct volume on your brush? Stop doing it on your hand. There's a thing called a palette that's much better. You can find palettes pretty much anywhere you look. A cardboard plate could be a palette. An old disc golf. Perhaps even one of those fancy palettes that are made specifically for painting. Thank you for listening to this PSA. All right, so today we have David Heskin as our guest. David is a very accomplished painter. His skill level and knowledge of technique are just off the charts. And in fact, he and his wife, Aloria, just went back to school, which puzzled me because I thought they were already crushing it. And so we talk about that, going back to school, learning about uh, geometry and tile work and stone carving. David's also a tattoo artist talk a little bit about tattooing. We get into cooperation versus competition and the intersection of the two and a whole lot more. This one we even talk about NFTs, surprise, surprise, because everyone in the art world just can't shut up about them. They're exciting. And If you want to learn more, do some research. I'm not going to break it down for you right here. That would take too long. And I wanted to get this intro in under three minutes. So let's just launch right into it. David Hesk. David Hesk. It's been a wild ride the past uh, year. Yeah, continues to be, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Looking good, though. You're looking great, man. Thank you. Likewise. Another day older, another day younger. Same, same. Yeah, something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I've been loving the work you've been putting out lately, man. Oh, thanks. All the psychedelia. Yeah. 
Psychedilio. Psychedilio. It's fun. I need to kind of probably pivot into some other things, but it's been super engaging. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, super fun. It's like it's easy. It feels good. You know, I'm just like. <sighs> yeah, it seems like you're letting go a little bit. Yeah, there's no struggle for a minute. You know. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it's not a. I don't know. I could like. I mean, who knows? Who's to say? Maybe a career could be built on that. I've always kind of been like, this is going to be the thing of all the, you know, <laughs> effort and struggle and like trying. <laughs> that I'm going to be like finger painting, digital remix. Yeah, palette Success. knife. I love the palette knife stuff. I, I mean, of course, the the Mana Prima, always yeah. just classic, and like the depth you can get with that is is pretty amazing. But yeah, super fun. Yeah. Super fun. But obviously it's a whole new world out there. I mean, you can't even like go five minutes without someone being like NFTs and crypto <laughs> this. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I I kind of got burnt out on it a little bit, to be honest. I know. Um I, know. I w you know, I'm still I'm still pretty rah rah about it, like yeah. in, in my own mind, because it does remove that uh that whole middleman thing. You know, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's just exciting for artists, I think, and like that's it, that's it, yeah, yeah, empowering a class of people that needs it, you know, exactly, yeah, and I think it'll, I think it'll have like rippling effects too. Just, I mean, I just so. think about how many times you've been approached by someone and they've been like, yeah, I want a commission or whatever, and they're like, you know, like how's a hundred bucks sound or so, you know, just something that like after like 10 years of work, you're kind of like, uh, you know, I understand that you don't understand, (laughs) but I think that like, um, seeing all these huge NFT tickets might, uh, might make people a little wiser about what's going on. A little bit. It's funny because I'm, you know, I'm wary of, you know, like artists, particularly in visionary world where there's at least some tendency toward altruism or doing something spiritually wonderful to work. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we're just like, look at all these dollar signs, you know, and everyone's kind of like, yeah, you know, just got dollar signs in their eyes. And I'm a little <laughs> bit like, you know, uh, it's cool. And I hope that the community kind of all floats together. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if someone, you know, if people have banked on Bitcoin and, and, crypto that there's some kind of altruism and not just like hoarding you know i I get the sense that it can bring out a little bit of the darkness and uh, people's inner kind of greediness yeah yeah but i I think like um that's part of the process right um knowing you're knowing that shadow right yeah definitely definitely and uh you know i've i've often thought that you know being in a in a state of you know less than wealthy state in our lives. It kind of helped us as artists to like keep your values in check and keep your, I don't know, to get really, really clear on how we operate in the world so that when that abundance comes in, it's not like, let's go to the, let's go buy Ferraris. Yeah. 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 Like, no, we've been, you know, showing that when we have this tiny little bit, how do we share it with each other and how do we build a community out of nothing 
so that when there is something there, suddenly it's like, oh, look at how strong these, uh, you know, the network structures can be now. And yeah, I hope for that. I hope for that. Yeah, I hope for that too. Um, it, it 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 would be nice to have the values in place first, right? I mean, just thinking yeah. about it, like even values, like as a as a painting, right? You know, like. Right. Uh, just have those in order in a place where, uh, you know, once you get that like financial or kind of like physical support, you can use it to keep helping artists, keep reinvesting in the, the art community and what art means. It's mostly what we said we would do, you know, it's like, what would I do if I had ton of, ton of money? It's like, I'll just, you know, support the people who are, who need it. You need it. Like that's the whole point of having it. It's not to right. like have it and then mine, mm-hmm. like have it and then flow it out. So in a way, it's like it's like, well, why don't I do that anyway? You know, why don't I like buy a nice print from someone I I respect and I want to like prime the pump? Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a it's an ongoing practice for sure. <laughs> Channeling that feeling of abundance to where like you know you don't have to buy art every day. And you don't have sure. to buy expensive things, but you also don't have to look at a thing that you could buy and be like, I can't have that. It's like, well, I'm choosing not to, I'm choosing not to, you know, buy a, a blingy thing that has no meaning to me. Totally. It's not that I can't have it. It's that my values aren't in place for that to make sense. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to kick things off, man. Uh, David Heskin, by the way. <laughs> So glad to have you on, man. I don't think I've seen you or Loria, I don't know, three, four years, maybe. Right. It's been a long time. It's been a while. We were in London for a good spell. So, yeah, yeah. Definitely want to talk about that. And, um, yeah, I think you guys and, and, and Jack were, like, the first people in Colorado who were like, oh, you're an artist. And, like, people who I respected who... uh who took the time to talk to me. So thank cool. you. Appreciate no that. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> really done. How did, so I'm, I'm not super clear on your backstory, but to me, it seems like you've been painting like most or like making art at least most of your life. Is that, is that true? Yeah. Lifelong artist for sure. I, um, I got my first oil paintings at 15. So that kind of, Nice. At the stage for what was to come in that way and made it easy to, you know, to transition uh, back into that as a young adult in a way and kind of rest into it with a familiarity that, that I find people struggle with a, a bit later on. There's an intimidation around finding a medium that fits. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, at this point that expands into a lot of other territory, you know, it's been what 25 years of oil painting or so a little more than that now. And you know, that gets, uh, becomes familiar and, and you look for new mediums. And I think that's really exciting to find uh, what's next. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you guys went to the Prince's foundation school. Is that what it's called? It's called the, it, yeah, it's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> Prince's foundation school of traditional arts used to just be okay. it used to just be the prince's school of traditional arts okay. in london um, but it became part of uh, prince charles foundation as he's sort of preparing to 
you know, ascend the throne. And, you know, he has a real soft spot in his heart for tradition, traditional arts and traditional uh, principles. The, the school is actually started by a, a geometer named Keith Critchlow. He's a really um, a legend, ultimately. And mm-hmm. he, he just passed last year, the day after my birthday. But um, his students were, uh, were our, our teachers. And he started the school in the 80s in London as part of a program in, in the Royal it was a Royal College of Art, and then it sort of out, outgrew that and became its own school um, as things were probably getting a bit contrasting with how modern things are, you know, tend to get in the certain art, you know, mainstream art schools. So I think it needed its own, you know, its own world to inhabit in a sense. And it's been it's been its own school for for many years now, its own standalone um, institution that only takes 12 students a year. It's like this very kind of tiny disciple program, if you will. And Laurie and I both got in. They, we were told when we first visited the school, there was no way we'd both get in. So we better have plan B. Oh, and wow. then, and then we both got in magically <laughs> with, you know, 200 page portfolios and you know, we, we gave it everything we had um, and they let us in. Very nice. That was awesome. Yeah. So one question I have is like, before you guys, went to this school like I you know I felt like you were just you know crushing it as they say already um in terms of your skill level and I think that like when artists get successful there's a tendency to just kind of like rinse repeat in a lot of ways which is cool and I don't I'm not hating on that at all but I was just curious like what motivated you guys to like expand your skill set and in your repertoire at that like seemingly late stage in the game. Right. Fantastic question. One is that I guess it's never too late. It's never a late stage. And I think art me- art is meant to keep us young and keep us on the learning curve for, for sure. our whole lives. Um, you know, there was a great line that I heard when we were in Vienna many years ago and it was, um, passed down, you know, it's kind of like passed down from a few people, but it was, it was from a, an elder artist who was basically acknowledging that, that as an artist, um, you only get more relevant as you get older. Whereas in a lot of segments of society, you kind of retire and become obsolete in a sense, you've done your work and now you're just going to kind of wither away. And as artists, we just become more and more important and relevant. Yeah. We gain more skills and our knowledge is, you know, so important to those who, who come behind. Um, so I don't think it's ever too late to keep learning. And, you know, even though we were um, some of the older students in the program, in the master's degree program, um, it didn't feel really out of place to be there. It felt like we were, uh, in addition to learning a number of new traditional skills, there's like 14 different full-on traditions that were taught at the school. And we'd already studied many different painting lineages, like three to four different painting lineages. And this just like added on so many more. And I can speak about those in a minute, but um, in a way, in addition to the skills, in addition to the learning, um, a big part of it came down to always wondering what would happen if, if we removed the glass ceiling of having a degree. And I know this is something that you know, anyone over 40 or, or 50 is like, wow, you're going to get your master's. That's amazing. Anyone like 35 and younger is like, why would you possibly go to school? Like what, <laughs> what would you possibly do with a degree? 
And we sort of find ourselves in that middle ground. I mean, we're of the generation that grew up without computers, without smartphones. So we, we bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. And there was always this question about a degree. What can a de- degree do for you? Will it remove some glass ceiling that we just keep bumping into? Mm-hmm. And um, certainly the worlds are changing and it, it isn't, there's no way that a degree would replace skill and would replace vision. Uh, but it wouldn't hurt certainly. Um, sure. And, and, you know, a lot of, and maybe this is sort of old paradigm, a lot of the older, you know, a lot of the older systems, if, if you didn't have letters, um, there was no way you were going to get into a gallery. You could be a terrible artist and have degrees (laughs) and you'd suddenly be considered for something that, you know, a fantastic artist that didn't jump through those hoops seemingly would never be considered for. So, in a way, it was to remove the glass ceiling there. In another way, it was like, um, I guess, following the mystery, you know, just kind of like, what's next? Uh, and sensing there was some mystery, some hidden gems behind exploring that, like that. I, I never got to be a student to the degree that my students get to be. I've been teaching, but I never, right. I've not, I hadn't gone to as much schooling as I've been doing teaching. Uh, due to my own sort of self-taught path. I mean, I've done mm-hmm. some some seminars and workshops, certainly, but never like a full throttle, clear life out of the way, focus on being a student. And uh, it was really lovely to be able to flip the script on that. Yeah. And on top of that, um, the school is just amazing in terms of what it was offering in terms of the skills. Uh, but we sensed there was a deeper undercurrent, a deeper consciousness at play, um, the school being based on a lot of geometry, uh, Islamic geometry, Western sacred geometry, as it plays out in say Gothic architecture, Celtic pattern, mm. uh, and a number of different lineages and, and legacies that way. Um, but we were kind of like, is there, I see this geometry, I see these skills and this fine craftsmanship. Is there, is there a deeper consciousness at play? And it absolutely turns out there is. And a lot of the teachers there are really, bringing through um, a deeper level of mysticism uh, like that, that Keith Critchlow uh, conveyed to them. And they're, you know, each person holds a little piece of the puzzle, but altogether they sort of create this, I mean, some are more technical. They create this, this wonderful mosaic of learning. Some are, some are much more spiritual. Some have a combination of the two. And uh, a lot of what the schooling did was, or attempted to do, uh, was bring you into a state of presence, particularly with creating geometry, that it's not about the result. It's about full immersion in the practice of understanding what a circle can mean, understanding what a, a straight line can mean. And even down to the, some of the tools, some laying around to show you, but I'll show you later on. Basically the old school compasses didn't have just a little handle on top. The old antique compasses basically have a circle with a, a dot in the middle and that's the that fulcrum and that is the symbol for the sun or the symbol for the divine you're actually holding on to the divine godhead while you're you know it's creating a circle uh you know with the point as this unmovable center and then your your scribe your pencil is the circumference of all that exists and everything cosmologically unfolds from that in the process of sacred geometry and it really I mean deepened our experience of what geometry can can be um, mm-hmm. in, in the more kind of visionary uh, paradigm 
we see a lot of flower of life and these kind of basic structures. That's like the, the skeleton, the basic right. bones of what uh, these deeper levels of Islamic geometry and, and some of the sophisticated, not just in that culture, but doesn't belong to any culture. Geometry is universal. Sure. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of like the skeleton or one skeleton and it gets so complex from there. And I think uh, with the predisposition that the visionary culture has toward geometry um, and sacred geometry, I think the next generation, and I guess what part of my role can be in that is to, to say, great, we've got, we're fascinated with it. Let's see where we can take it now. Yeah. And learn these principles. I mean, I, I really got this, that uh, uh, Islamic geometry was like cymatics. And it was like a static, uh, snapshots of, of cymatics that are like showing where the order uh, coheres through like and, it's it's almost like a synesthesia too right because the cymatics are, are sound vibration like the visuals that happen from sound right and it's all related to proportion like sound is the uh, we're talking about harmonics that which mm-hmm. resonates uh, you know well with another tone these things right. go together and particularly when you get multiple multiple tones going together it's very obvious when there's dissonance and things break apart mm-hmm. um, and as we kind of understand with solfeggio tones for instance or, or some of these more subtle harmonics um, it's not all the, the western major scale at play i mean the islamic yeah. uh, musical scale is, is doubly as complex as the, as the platonic scale um, all of which are totally relevant and valid but I think it's why we see that mindset um, from the East, from the ancient East, um, is really what uh, what created this degree of complexity that we see in the music, the musical scales, and the geometry, and the architecture yeah. that we can hardly conceive of now. I mean, right. we could barely, barely even do it with, with uh, digital tools, and the <laughs> ancient craftsmen were doing it by hand. It's Yeah, it's kind of a lost art. Like, I feel like... Uh you know, Western slash American music is very, very narrow. Like, you know, we like our platonic blues kind of one, three, five kind of major chord poppy stuff. And I don't know if that's like, you know, did, did they crack some sort of code because one, three, five is just the greatest ever, or are we just a little like, watered down in our taste because that's what we've been used to for the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Sure. You move into um, time signatures as well. And we're yeah, just yeah. so like, or on the floor, just, we don't even yeah, question yeah. it yeah. Or, or time signature. It, it, it appeals to a very grounded earthly predictability. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like the rhythm of walking, right? It's Cause it's like one, two, one, two. Yeah. I mean, there's a, the, you know, the number four and cubic things relate to the earth. It's very mm. much like it's grounding. Um, you know, the same with like lyrics. We, we like, I mean, not me per se, particularly, mm-hmm. but as a culture, we like things that rhyme and are predictable. You know what the word is going to be before you hear it. Mm-hmm. And there's some safety in that. There's some uh, participatory enjoyment that comes from, from having that predictability, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it may, it may just not be like, I personally love time signatures and music where I have to actually listen to music and figure out yeah. the brilliance. Like, wow, they're in a 13 or a 15 or a 19 time signature. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like epic. <laughs> it's, it does something really wonderful to your mind to, 
I mean, it's sort of like the way classical music really engages the the synapses, and it really kind of creates higher higher frequencies of order. I think I think there's something something to that. I don't know how we would explain it away in in terms of the context of an older culture, because mm-hmm. we are not them and we are not there. But sure, sure. Certainly, they. I don't think they related to complexity in the way that we do, where we're sort of bewildered by it. I mm-hmm. think it was an exploration of harmony as it as it kind of filtered down from from unity mm-hmm. into this uh, world of multiplicity yeah and it, all through proportion like every number can really kind of be honed in on through proportionality and that was what you'd see in the geometry too um, in order to get away from that just like well here's the flower of life because when you use a compass it just kind of defaults toward that sure yeah you can find other little points of connection. I mean, it, it takes little adjustments, but oh, look, here's another, there's another point of interest when you draw certain lines. When any time a line crosses, you get another point of interest. Uh, and then you can use that point of interest to proportion some new ideas. And they may not be the same scale as what you started with, but they're in harmony with it in some way. Yeah. So, so it all derives from the one in that way. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you can develop vast complexities uh, yeah I very feel- quickly that way, you know sorry what was that oh just very quickly vast complexities arise out of of seeming order and simplicity mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think to go back to when you said that when points intersect or like lines intersect i feel like you're you're, you're almost connecting parts of your brain to each other or it gets mm-hmm. them talking or like just sort of like firing some sort of neurochemical thing that that may have been not firing as as hard before. Do you get yeah. that feeling? You know, I think that's I I think that's touches on the feeling that one uh, wants to get through through the creation of sacred geometry. I think that is a feeling that you're on the right track with it. That there's some connection being made. It's, there's a difference when you're learning a complex geometry and when, when you're performing a, a, a geometry that you understand or that you're exploring, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, often if you're being taught something, it, you're, you're very much in your analytical mind and kind of trying to understand, you know, there's a little furrow in the brow and you're trying <laughs> to understand yeah. uh, what's going on. But later I think you integrate it more and you you understand that it's the same process over and over and over. You're either creating a circle or a straight line or a portion of a circle on a straight line. And it's usually to give you more of those points of interest, more of those, that perhaps uh, cerebral coherence. And I think you can start to glean the pattern from it, be less in your analytical thinking and more in that state of wonder of, of watching it unfold in perfection mm. and, and being taken to the mystery experiencing something mysterious and universal uh, and a, a realm of perfection that we're striving toward, um, but never achieving like the flower, right. uh, you know, a, a aspires towards fivefoldness. And of course we'll never fully get there the same. We're aspiring when we're geometers or practicing geometry pattern seekers uh, to perfect that form because of what it impresses upon us when we see it. And, you know, one of the main things that, you know, we really learned from school is like, you know, it was that sort of Dalinian quote, have no fear of perfection. You'll never attain it. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
your pencil always has a, a line width to it, a thickness to it. Yeah. Whereas a line in its definition has no thickness to it. It's right. just <laughs> a space between two, you know, hypothetical points that also have no dimension. So it's like, there's no worry of getting too good at geometry. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone's too worried about that. <laughs> no, but uh, it's, it's a cutting edge. I think it's really a, a sharpening tool um, to hone our own mastery. Just like any, any creative discipline, I think geometry can really take us there. And yeah, there's sort of a, particularly when practicing geometry in a cosmological manner, when one would start with a point, there's sort of this orientation to the inexplicable one you know, yeah, yeah. The, the unity of all things and how it unfolds, it must do something wonderful for our minds that, that goes beyond being able to speak about it. We right. have to be, we find that place of silence and practice it. And uh, who knows what happens for us in there. That's beautiful. But it's, clear, it's clear we're obsessed with it as a, you know, right. not just artists, but as a culture. I mean, it, geometry is everywhere yeah um, geometry meaning the measure of the earth kind of coming from ancient egypt and the the annual floods where the earth would have to be surveyed every year again to figure out where you know where the plot lines lay and and you just see it in every facet of of our our lives everything that's built and made by man is you know in you know influenced by geometrical means uh, whether we see it or not do you do you think like learning geometry can make someone a just stronger minded human, or maybe, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe like, uh, just someone who notices patterns more and, and less, uh, less easily duped by, uh, <laughs> by culture and all its trappings. Ooh, that's tough kind, one. It's kind of the impression I get, but. It certainly could be, I think in the best of the best of ways, certainly. I mean, it's sort of like, I guess you could say um, a painter uh, because of the way they're used to looking at their tools might have the op- uh, ability to appreciate nature in a deeper way. Um, you might be looking close, more closely at the way a shadow falls or the way, uh, you know, the shape of a leaf impacts you. Uh, so I think it, you know, there's this attention to detail, um, attention to coherence, you know, attention to patterns. Certainly, I mean, I, I'm always looking for number uh, synchronicities. Whether yeah. it's well, how many people are in the room right now? Oh, interesting. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, down to things you can't help but notice. But like, how many spokes on that tire? How many? I mean, that's sort of mundane stuff. But it, I think maybe it, rather than just zoning out when you feel like you're in a, in a, a daily mundane situation, it's kind of looking around and, you know, perhaps bringing greater attention, awareness, extending our life through bringing awareness to our day to day. I think it gets into a, a bit beyond language. I, I think trying to say anything universally would, would probably be false, but everyone that I've sure. met that's practicing geometry as a way of orienting to the world, um, there's certainly a sacred presence that people are striving toward, uh, especially once they've sort of assimilated what it is to wield a compass, what it is to, 
you know, create these proportions that we see echoed in the, in the stars and in the planets. And uh, John Martineau did a fantastic job. He was, he's the creator of the wooden book series that a lot of us are very well familiar with. It's lovely little sacred geometry books and all kinds of, you know, alchemy and, and interesting esoterica. And he was a graduate of the Prince's Foundation School back in the day before it was that. It was the Visual Islamic and Traditional Arts School, or Vita, Vita. Mm-hmm. And for his master's degree project, basically, he wrote his first book. And it was a little book of coincidence where he took the mean, basically the mean orbits and the mean uh, circumferences and diameters of, of a lot of the, pl- of most of the planets in the solar system and related them geometrically to each other. And so granted, you know, when I say the mean orbit, like planets orbit elliptically, so it's finding that, you know, the average essentially. And mm. he found there were astounding uh, geometrical correlates. And we're, so many of us are familiar with that, you know, the Venusian, that five-fold Venus uh, diagram. And right. he was kind of the one to draw that out. Oh, really? And, uh, and, they, and, and published it as his master's degree and then went on to, you know, do this fantastic publishing company. It, there was a story that Keith Critchlow told because Keith was John's professor 20 years ago um, that they took this astounding information to a lot of the uh, astronomy and science departments all across the UK and said, can you, this is not conjecture. We, this is, right. provable. this is provable based on your math. Right, right. You guys have decided that you've calculated the orbits. We've, shown you how they relate and everyone just like they couldn't deal with it they threw it out basically it was just too just too much there it's not how they're looking at the universe so yeah. you know our geometers plugging into a, or is the practice of geometry potentially plug us into something much deeper that even has you know scientific ramifications absolutely absolutely so ah oh, science <laughs> Yeah, it's all it's all one really, but you know, right. science and art, it's just different faculty and yeah. how we want to look at it. And I think that's been a big emphasis of of the school was, you know, looking at at the science of art and the quadrivium that book that you know that that wooden books published is is based on a, a much older way of thinking. And it's it's looking at at number. Uh, what is the quadrivium? Well the quadrivium is basically the fourfold um way of, of it's basically the, the, well, I'll back up and say there's a quadrivium and the trivium, but the trivium relating to language. I know um, about the trivium. Right. Like logic, grammar, rhetoric. And then you get the quadrivium and I always butcher it, but it's basically arithmetic. Um, you get uh, geometry. You end up with astronomy and, and music. There's like harmony. Basically it's a harmony through these different dimensions. Mm. Um, and it, that used to be the basis of education. And I will have to apologize to all my teachers if I butchered that and got it wrong. <laughs> but in essence, um, you know, it, it was the basis for education in the past. And uh, children can learn this. You know, you can start really young and, and get it. And it's sort of, you know, we've defaulted toward a much more disjointed education system. But this sort of brings a person into wholeness. Um, in terms of understanding their place in the universe, understanding the role of number, understanding the role of uh, harmony, and 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 it, it goes out into the cosmos, into real uh, tangible relationships, and and through that book of coincidence, you know, it was really we're able to see it. Yeah, and, 
Yeah, it feels it. It sounds like the, that would make numbers fun, because as like a you know rambunctious little boy, like I couldn't be bothered to really like sit down and do math for. I mean, pretty much my whole educational life, my whole, like, you know, all through college and everything. So, like, I think if you can get someone while they're young and be like, no, look, like, these planets and these stars correlate to what you love, this music stuff, this way. And just going in from that that perspective is, it seems like just having heard about it for literally the first time just now, it just seems so much more fun than like this so-called education system that, that we have implemented yeah. here. Well, it's so di- we're so divorced these days from meaning. And I think we're, I mean, we are meaning making beings. Yeah. Um, we need that symbolism in our world. And I mean, I was even a math kid, you know, I loved math. It was just part of my upbringing. I had no choice given who my parents were. Um, but geometry was the best of that. And, mm. and, and it sort of gets, and I, I could really feel for people who aren't predisposed to math, that geometry was like a liberating piece of it. And granted, it wasn't sacred geometry back then. It was more just, you know, here's how to make sense of some of these equations. But I mean, you get into certainly algebra and then into calculus and it just absolutely crushes you like what is the um you know you ask your calculus teacher in junior high school or high school what is the practical application of this and they said well you can become a calculus teacher and you're like what <laughs> so just teaching, you know or you know you could be a rocket scientist too but um there's not a lot of, it's really divorced from cause and effect like yeah. what is the practical application of this whereas you know sacred geometry when you get into platonic solids certainly in three-dimensional structures Mm-hmm. I think we could, well, I mean, the, the cellular uh, applications are huge. I mean, I think looking at microscopic structures, we see a lot of order there. DNA is, uh, turns out, is like a five slash tenfold structure as we're looking at it, a tenfold helix. Um, yeah. Imagine the kind, you know, you kind of get into Bucky Fuller and a lot of the sort of living structures we could be inhabiting rather than the sort of disproportionate, but essentially always rectangular boxes mm-hmm. um, and imagine how we could apply the geometry that we experience in nature to our own, our own living systems and, and mimic nature in a, a much more intelligent and subtle way. Um, there's meaning making in number two, you know, you have one and you, of course we're dealing with unity. It's all things unity. Um, you get into two and you're like, wow, there's polarities in the world. There's this dualistic nature of things. There's, charge and magnetism and attraction and repulsion uh you know three you get a trinity suddenly there's balance it's sort of a you're unifying opposites there's so many different uh i don't know facets of meaning that come through through number when we look at symbology as opposed to just i have three apples Right, right. You know, and I eat one, and now I have two. Or, you know, right. But did you ever have? Do Do you actually have two? You know, or you know, it's just kind of. Can you ever actually have an apple? (laughs) You know, but instead we got like you know a train traveling sixty miles an hour going south southeast runs into a you know a bird traveling this fast. How far? It's like. It's kind of like who cares? (laughs) You know, I I get it in terms of an an exercise, but is it is it is it making us more intelligent or is it just packing on information? So there's that like 
knowledge as it translates to wisdom or knowledge as it translates to information. Yeah. Well, we're still, we're still living in the, maybe in the throes, but definitely at least in the wake of the, uh, educational system that has trained everybody to just be like factory workers essentially, or, um, you know, working on machines and, and there's definitely some practical application to that. Yeah. But, um, and you know, I, you can be simultaneously grateful for the advances from all that. And also like critical of, of, you know, I guess pushing us artists into a, into kind of a corner, but Hey, if that didn't happen, maybe we wouldn't have NFTs. So, (laughs) you know, how many, how many different, uh, opportunities right now that we're, we're looking at. It's a different world than it's ever been. And, um, you know, I don't think, I don't know if there's been a better time to be an artist. I think if we go back far enough in time, we didn't get to choose necessarily to be an artist. I mean, you look at right so many of the great artists like Renaissance painters and most artists that we've heard of that are kind of like hit the top of the charts. Um, except for a few, there are definitely exceptions, um, had a great advantage early in life. I mean, right. you hear of, oh, I want to be as great as this person. Yeah, they were in academy at age seven yeah. because they came from a family that had the wealth in order to ensure that this was going to happen. Um, right. You know, we kind of think that you're just going to stumble into it. And certainly it's, it's an, in these days, you absolutely can. Uh, I think that's a very... <laughs> I did. Yeah. Very unique opportunity we have right now to really make your own world. And in a sense, it's the multiplicity, it's the chaos. It's the kind of anything goes uh, reality we're living in that enables that um, under a, in a more rigid sort of ordained society. You know, if, if any of us were trying to come into it later in life or with any, I don't know, any lack of, of that high education from early on, I think we would have just been chewed up and spit out so quickly. Definitely. You're like, no, you're not, you're not part of this world. Get back to get back in your place in a way. And what a gift that we can not, that that's not our, our bounding parameter right now. What a total gift. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild world out there and I'm super grateful to be living in it. I mean, it's simultaneously like the most opportunity ever while also like seemingly like we're going to crash and burn in like 20 years. And it, yeah. you know, it ain't that life, right? Like <laughs> the duality, like yeah. just coming together and dan- constantly dancing. And um, on, kind of on that note, you were talking about teaching a little bit ago. And I know you guys have some classes coming up and I'd, yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to give you an opportunity to plug that. Um, but I, I was curious about like the process of teaching. Do you feel like you're learning a lot when you're teaching? Cause you said you didn't have that time being like full dedicated student, but did yeah. you get like a, was there kind of some sort of paradox there where the teacher becomes the student? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think hosting a class uh, and putting yourself out there certainly opens you up to 
a whole new spectrum of human experience. Um, we're all teachers for each other, of course. And so mm-hmm. even though there is, you know, you may put on the hat of the teacher or play the role of the teacher at different times. Um, it's really important not to look past the, the reality where we're all learning from each other and we're all gaining something new, uh, you know, early in, you know, early in teaching. I mean, it's been about, about 11 years or something now since we started oh, wow. teaching painting. And at first it was very much like a lot more rigid and a lot more kind of naturally, you know, stressful and a little more, um, I don't know, uh, orchestrated in a way that you really tried to curate every moment of the experience. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that works for a while. You're trying to, you're trying to set yourself up for success and set all your students up for success. And that can work. And then, you know, it, it grows and it evolves. And I think it's important that, that there's a bit of live feedback loop that happens. There's a responsiveness to who's in the room, the intelligence of the group as it shows up yeah. uh, that can't be preordained, that can't be uh, predicted, really. There's, we set the template and we right. set the stage, uh, but there's... I find the responsiveness to be kind of exciting, particularly in person. I mean, now there's some, it's more online classes and it's a bit more difficult to read body language or to, you know, to sense who a person is when they're just a sort of a talking head. Yeah. But that's, you know, this is a temporary blip, I think. And gosh, it's just, you know, we've said many times said, you know, hosting a class is sort of just the opportunity for family to emerge for, for people to respond to what's being offered. And, and of course they, you know, our students become our teachers, um, our students become our family and our collaborators and um, people who we want to create new worlds with. Um, partly for me, like one of the things that really inspires me about teaching is to, to keep the classes uh, really refreshed with, what I'm inspired by at the moment uh, yeah. as opposed to just a cookie cutter. Like I may call a class, something kind of similar. There's a general idea about the, you know, the legacy of the kinds of classes we want to teach and what that, what that might bring someone into, but I'm always researching. I'm always learning mm-hmm. in a new place in my practice and really trying to share that with students uh, because it's exciting for me. If I'm just, and people can feel it, you know, if you're just teaching out of a book or if you're just teaching right. something you've done a hundred times, it's so obvious that there's, that life is sort of drained out of it or you're going through the motions. Uh, so for me, I don't want to waste anyone else's time or my own Yeah. Uh, by kind of like, well, here you go. The same formula again. I'm, I'm always trying to in a way, in a way, it's almost like stimulating those early teaching experiences where you're, you're kind of not sure exactly the fullness of everything that's going to happen. There's space for something to emerge that hasn't been completely scripted. I mean, there's a lot of content that wants to be delivered, but, you know, I really trust in the transmission of the moment to come through. It's like speaking with you. We haven't discussed what we're going to talk about. No, not at all. Did a recent interview the same, and and there, there was almost no discussion of art in the interview. It was just life. And, <laughs> well, you um, know, art is life, right? Truly, truly, and life life is art in that way. So, of course, uh, anything we discuss is 
is creativity on display. Absolutely. Yeah. Language, man, is, I think is one of the, if not the most creative endeavor in a way, because every single person uses it. And, you know, they, there's that whole idea that the universe will be created through vibration and sound and, and words. Cause you know, I think that words are so powerful and you can literally with the right, you know, evidence and, and things you can literally lead someone's mind to think in a different way if they're mm-hmm. open to thinking in a different way or if they're curious and that's something to be grateful for. And it's something to be aware of, uh, as people who are consuming lots of media these days. And, but, but yeah, that's like, I've kind of been rolling this idea around in my head lately about like, okay, what's, what's my like thesis statement for this podcast? It's RCAF, you know, it's a catchy little name and, and like, but I think that at the end of the day, um, and, and we talked about this in our very first episode. I asked my friend Bobby, you know, is everybody an artist? And he said, and at that point I was kind of like, I didn't like the kind of trend of saying like, oh, everybody's an artist, you know? And, but now I'm like, actually, if you're speaking, you're an artist. Mm. Like you're creating something. You're creating sound every day. And it's good to just be aware of, of that fact, I think. Mm. And yeah, I, I mean, for me too, I think I'm just saying this almost to remind myself at the end of the day. It's like, what am I really doing here, you know, with with this like talk show that I've got going on, you know? It, it's almost like this like uh, like self-perpetuating alarm clock to to just like like just remember, you know? And uh, yeah, great observation, really. So, yeah, I think I'm trying to convince people that they are an artist. Like, come as you are, but once you step on the artist path, like, like you were saying, it's a never ending journey of, of learning and, and growing and becoming just more aware of what you're making. Absolutely. I mean, I think. I had a similar uh, vision slash uh, intention with with painting, at least in the last 15, 20 years, I mean, 15 years or so was like, and I said it many times, I was kind of like, I want to inspire people so much by painting. And, I, you know, I've taken my paintings into strange shaped canvases and all 3D canvases, all, all different things. And, you know, the saying is my studio is a group show. There's so many different kinds of, of art. Mm-hmm. that I, I feel a resonance with that what I really wanted to do was, and I said this so many times, it was kind of like kicking myself a little bit for it, but also, you know, really still resonate with it. I was like, I want to put myself out of a job as an artist because I've inspired <laughs> the culture, helped inspire the culture to become so much more creative that to be an artist is irrelevant now because right. we're all creative people and we're all down to whatever task you do, as a, as you're living or whatever it is that there's the art of whatever, you know, yeah. um, whatever someone's passion is. And in a way that's sort of forced me to jump out of my comfort zone. I'm not doing 
well, I made 60 paintings this winter, so I am painting a lot, but I'm, 60. I'm exploring a lot. Sorry. <laughs> I'm exploring a lot of new territory and different things that are, you know, some of those are labored. Some of those just flow out and you don't worry about it. Sure. And some are studied, but, you know, through the school for, to come back to that, like um, so many new mediums came through and I, to kind of circle back to your, to your question and bring it up to, to speed, like what, what was the impetus of going to school? I, after teaching for the last 10 years, I've really seen a, a next generation of artists take in this information that's being delivered, not just from myself and from Aloria teaching from our whole sort of a whole generation and the generation above us of, of amazing painters and teachers and seeing the next generation getting these downloads and applying them so much quicker. I mean, we, it was sort of like hard fought knowledge for a lot of us, self-taught, figuring it out. Totally. And then we sort of recapitulated that and delivered it to young artists and they've just rocketed. It's like, wow, you guys right. kind of, you kind of have this handled. Uh, I trust you to, um, to take the mantle now, like here it's yours. And um, in a way, it was liberating to to look into some new art forms or, or old art forms for me, and kind of say like I've 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 said a lot of what I had to say in paint, right? Uh, in, at least in certain kinds of painting, I'm exploring a lot more abstract sort of psychedelia now, and different. You know, I'm sort of allowing myself to explore more, um, but through going to school and getting out of the comfort zone. Um, suddenly stone carving, wood carving, right. uh, metal casting, some more architectural art forms where we're actually not just painting pictures of a world we want to see, but building it. And so that's becoming, nice. and you know, new interest as I'm, you know, in my mid career as a painter, I've sort of proven the trials of like, wow, you're over 40 and still going for it. I guess you are that crazy. <laughs> you're clearly not going to give up now. Right. Yeah. And, but the mediums can change and it, it, you know, I'm just interested in polymath culture. Like who would, what would we create if we all had a lot of different skills and we could really understand how we plug in together. Um, you know, if we're not so isolated, like I am a painter and that is my identity and that is my yeah. entire skill set that I give to the world. Right. Uh, I think we can blow those definitions out. And I think the new Eon that we're in now um, really is not that fond of singular fond oxy definitions of right. i am i am a whatever right. is kind of like let's just like hold it more gently than that and instead you know like you're saying like let our words be our art as, as the basis our words and our deeds and our actions sure so, yeah uh, prove our art prove it to be true and good and beautiful you know yeah yeah i think uh the multidisciplinary person is the future it is now but it, it's also the future Maybe it always has been, but you know, we, and I think everything goes in cycles too, but you know, we're coming out of kind of a rigid age and, um, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, that's also why I'm interested in digital art. You know, it's just a different medium and it's, it's new and exciting. Sure. But like, you really have to put in the work if you're going to make something great. I mean, you know, yeah, I think we're we're at a, a precipice, and it's. I mean, re I'm really interested in the uh, sort of hybridization of of analog and digital, and that's what I've been playing with a bit. Taking paintings where there's something that could never happen purely digitally it needs to happen in an analog form, 
pulling that into a digital realm, maybe, maybe it feeds back. And there's, you know, there's so many ways that, gosh, with 3D printed realities and, and VR, like, you know, we can take very organic things, digitize them, bring them back into the, you know, organically into the physical world and, and really just have a, there's no denying it's happening. So let's, right. let's build a, the best relationship with it that we can while it's here. Yeah. It's about yeah, that synergy yeah. between the two, I feel like. And th- I was actually looking through your recent stuff last night and the, uh, the Seraphim like Monoprima, it looks like Monoprima, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. It looks digital, man. Yeah. It like, I was looking at it and it, it, it was like a close up shot of it and it looked mm. digital, like the way that it, it almost like glitches in this cool way. Mm. And it, yeah, I, I had never even, I hadn't even thought of it like that, but anyway, I just needed to, yeah. to say that. Thanks for looking at it. Thanks for, for taking the time to check it out. It's, it's, it's definitely evolved over the winter. There was a new octave that came through and, you know, I have been digitizing some of those pieces into sort of more mandalic forms sure. and that's, that's been really intriguing as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really just an interesting form of play right now and allowing myself to enjoy painting, you know, like, what is it that there's painting that is for a reason for other people that we can sort of push our levels and struggle to create right. at least for a time until we master, you know, sort of master an art form. And then there's sort of that creative liberation that comes from the joy of just applying oneself to it. Mm-hmm. And there's, seem to be connected but extremely different faculties playing out and I've, I've definitely done the struggle version and the trying and the rendering and the attempting to perfect and bring through a vision and um, I don't know I, I think my perhaps my uh, application to art has been too diverse to really go down one rabbit hole and kind of follow it all the way I, I find him envious uh, of those artists that there's a few classical young classically trained artists that are just blowing my mind these days. They're so good and producing such masterful work. That's kind of like they live and breathe this one way, this right. one thing. And I, I do think there's still, there is absolutely room for that as much as we're talking about polymath culture. I think there's sure. definitely something f- that I'm enamored with in the people who have the focus to do to you know, perfect one discipline, and it will take them all the way to mastery, no question. Um, it doesn't happen to be my way, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it discounts it in any sense. And I would, you know, often I used to look at a, some masterful painting by, you know, generally always when it's someone younger than you too. You're just like, my God, you kind of <laughs> totally like, like how how are you doing this? And, yeah. you know, we get this competitive spirit and like, well, I need to, you know, it's good if it pushes you to, to create further. I need to get on my game a bit more, but lately I'm just really trying to zoom out a bit and go, this is humanity. Look at our creativity. Look at, this is another facet of myself that yeah. has something to show me and look at the mastery that's being not to take it on personally. Look at another me did something. No, right, but right. as, as a particle in this, you know, in, or a cell in this body that is humanity, look at this expression of beauty that I certainly didn't have the discipline or the life situation to bring me to create, but I can 
apprehend that beauty. I can yeah. fully take it in and, and partake of it as if it's my own. And, and it's really been sort of healing in a way to look at, at art and other artists that way. Yeah. Whereas at a different time, you're kind of like competing with everyone and the whole, every other artist's, you know, someone sells a painting and you're kind of like, I should have sold a painting. It's just like, no, art is affirmed in humanity, period. Yeah, it's a positive sum game, right? Like if someone sells art, it's good to be happy for them and, and share in their Celebrate. joy. And that's what I think is, you know, not to keep harping on it, but is a cool thing that I'm seeing in the NFT community is everybody's like, yeah, you know, like they're cheering everybody on who's when they could be like jealous and like, well, okay, we, we need to, we need to do our own thing here and like make it better. And it's like, no, everybody's there like rah, rah, cheering each other on. And, and I think like, you know, I think it's good to just have that mindset of cooperation rather than, the competition, you know, and I Absolutely. know, it, it, and I don't know whether it's like the competitive thing is, it's probably both, right? I, it, it's probably like part biological, part cultural, cul- uh, cultural, <laughs> and, and so it, it gets like, uh, it gets ratified by both those tendencies in our minds. It, but I think cooperation, you know, as, as like, biology shows us that like animals or, or species that cooperate occupy like an essential niche. Mm. And I don't know where I'm going with that, but I think it's, uh, I think it's important to, to recognize both sides and, um, yeah, just balance it. There's that, that word that bounces around the coopetition. You know, sometimes we hear that it's like, I mean, there is something about when you're in the field of other people who are pushing themselves, you pick up on it and you tend to sort of galvanize yourself and see what could I be doing? Could I be working a little harder at this? And I I think it's helpful. There's healthy competition, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Um, And, you know, collaboration can, can really draw out the best of us. Um, but it also has the, the tendency to where we don't like for myself, I, I, I know that if I'm relying on someone else in collaboration, I, I might phone it. I, in. I, know, that, I know they're going to fix something that I, that yeah, I yeah. might not have the solution to, uh, which is wonderful in a, in that circumstance, but it might leave me, you know, not developing my full range of skills to the degree that I could be. So there's, you know, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance. We're in a new, you know, a new time. It's not just lions and gazelles uh, running around um, for their own, you know, to, to feed their own family. We're, we have a greater potential, a greater creative potential as humans. And I think we're trying to explore that in a, in a greater degree, at least than what we have in the past uh, couple centuries. I mean, maybe, maybe if you go back far enough, you, you really look into the tribal nature of things like maybe it's pre-monotheism even where Mm -hmm. it's a little more like you're out there for the tribe and if you don't pull through your part of the task you know who's gonna how's survival gonna go this year and how is how's the winter gonna look and you know perhaps there was a, a bit more reliance 
in a in a tribal culture versus this hyper individualism um and that may have that may not be centuries it may just be a, a generation or two you know yeah, yeah. Our, generally our grandparents were farmers most people that right. i talked with you go back a few generations and you had farmers and mm-hmm. you you go to our our parents generation and they kind of had this opportunity to join the workforce go into the cities pursue your own individual goals and your education uh, and your individuality which is amazing an amazing gift and we're partaking of that and at the same time we're kind of like did we lose something yeah yeah can't remember yeah (laughs) not sure um, but we're kind of regrowing it with you know integrating this hyper individualism uh, with a desire to do something for the tribe uh, and to be connected to you know a community to have this uh, a network of relationships that that makes us buoyant that makes us that keeps us interested and keeps things creative you know in all facets of our lives and it's a process it's a process we have to find it again very well said um you know exploring the territory and learning it and trying to figure it out as it goes you know yeah i mean i think that's all we can do right is just be aware as we can and adapt to the situations it's so like with more information that we're given, it becomes a little harder to sift through and find the gold. But once you find something that, that works, that resonates, that can be applied to many different situations, you have to like inform yourself that way. And now you have a new vantage point on where you'll make your decisions, you know, and how you'll treat other people and treat yourself and approach your artwork. You know, it's a, it's a swirling, beautiful, chaotically order, chaotic orderly painting, I guess that we're all, we're all collaborating on. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there are keys and, uh, you know, we integrate new new skills and new keys and new insights all the time. And without a community of sharing, without a, a community uh, sharing wisdom, you know, as much as we are hyper-individualized, I think we would be left so high and dry. And more and more, I mean, every single day, I speak with someone who has a key for me. Literally every day, someone I speak with has something to share a mm-hmm. gift where there's a piece of information, a piece of art, something, physical object, uh, a word, whatever it is that influences my life in, in a way that cannot be taken back, cannot be removed from the whole. Right. And it, and it really broadens who I, who I am and broadens the, the field of synchronicity with, within which I operate. And I know that that is, you know, my participation as well feeds into that for other people. And you just see it every single day. And I think, you know, there's a quickening we're experiencing now, or at least everyone I'm speaking with is, is pretty palpably uh, tapped into this novelty wave, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the synchronicity yeah. experience um, at the moment. And by tapping into it further, we recognize that, um, our participation with others, our presence with others is part of what's driving that. And, you know, to, to keep to a, 
the status quo where we kind of think, well, these are the important moments and those are the unimportant moments. I think that's a, an old modality. For sure. And, and it's really like bringing us into a greater presence where, oh, I might be bored of listening to this person say something, you know, speak, but, you know, they're kind of a long winded, like I get to be all the time, mm-hmm. but there's something in it. You know, there's really Absolutely. like, what is the message trying to come to me right now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's that whole idea of like looking at it, at everybody as a potential teacher or a, even a potential friend, Absolutely. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about that. And yeah. And, and every task in a way, I mean, I got to pay a property tax the other day Ooh. for the first time ever. Fun. And uh, I made it fun. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is awesome. I looked at the bill and what it was going towards. I was like, thank you so much. Look at the, look at the community services that was broken down. I mean, this is like, you know, perhaps the most mundane thing you've talked about on this podcast ever, but <laughs> Uh, it was so cool. I was just like, I was, before we went, I was convinced I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this a sacred experience. This isn't just like draining me of funds. This is like, and you see what it goes towards. And it's like, you know, these water conservation districts and the firefighters and all this stuff. You're like, this is community participation through a tithe. But it was all things that I felt really pretty good about. Um, Yeah that yeah. dollars are going to support this thing. It's like, and that's what it's all about. Eureka. You know, at the end of the day, like we're all connected in this web and we got to sort of got to pay into it one way or another, whether it's through property yeah. tax or, you know, maybe it's your job or, you know, if you decide not to pay into it, like you're going to have a pretty rough time, I think mm-hmm. in, in some form or fashion. Uh, but that's cool, man. That's like a great, it's a great way to frame something that like you've been taught like, oh, property tax, ugh, you know? But it's when you like really break it down, look at it. And it also must have been exciting to, because now you guys own your own place, right? Out there in Paonia. Well, it's uh, 35 acres worth of clay. And certainly, you know, there are, uh, whole networks of, of animals living there, whole communities of animals living there. There's not a lot of space for, there's not a lot of structures for humans yet. There's plenty of space. Mm. Um, the vision is, is to build an artist sanctuary there. And it's a long-term vision. Um, that's developing very slowly with a, a crazy learning curve. Um, is this where the, yeah. the architecture that you were talking about is coming in? It is definitely one of the, one of the places we'd like to apply a lot of the new skills that we've gained uh, through school is particularly because the County we're living in has no building codes. So there's really, mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we chose one of the reasons we chose to live here. In addition to the, the extremely resilient community, it's more than we ever expected. Uh, and nice. it's unfolding here. It's a magical place. And uh, yeah, it seems to be sort of the, the vessel where a lot of dreams can, can come to fruition and uh, it's a mystery of how it will, but we're showing up for it and dedicating to it. And, you know, there will be a, a lot of opportunity for, for young artists to come, or artists of all ages to come and, and hone their skills and to reconnect with the nature field um, this spring. And we, you know, came back and are in the town nearby. Uh, but this spring, we're planting over 500 trees on the land and getting a lot of infrastructure going on there. 
uh, sort of reforesting and, and, you know, bringing in a way, uh, bring our prayers to, to Gaia, to nature and, and wanting, uh, the land to receive us and to, to sort of become whole humans through our relationship to nature again, to participate fully. And I think that's what we're, you know, that's a common thread through whether it's art or like we just mentioned in the extreme mundane example of, of taxation or whatever, like there's this participation mm-hmm. that, that life demands out of us. Right. And I, I'm coming to a greater awareness of that on the daily and seeing how I sort of shied from it in a way of like, here's my paintings, but I'm removed from that. And how you, as an artist can kind of hide behind behind it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And think that you're completely participating. Uh, But in a way there's something greater, at least what I'm coming to now is there's something greater that's, that's being asked for a greater presence. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just, Oh, I make a painting and it's beautiful. And it, I mean, if it is, I mean, I see a lot of beautiful work out there, but who's the person, who's the soul that made a piece of work that uh, resonates with us? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get to know who that person is. What are their experiences that brought them, not just technically to a place of, of accomplishment in their work, but what makes them tick? What makes, you know, yeah. there's this whole other investment yeah. in humanity that I think is the art of the art, you know? Yeah. It's a deeper level of it. And I mean, even on the practical side, I guess this isn't, all practical, but kind of, uh, kind of showing yourself to the people who already like your art. Um, there's something about, um, courage and vulnerability that people find very attractive. And I think it encourages them to be open and and honest as well. And, um, that's something that I've sort of realized through doing the podcast is like, it's not about me and it's not necessarily always about the artist that I'm talking to, but it's about this interaction between you and I and anyone listening. Cause there's some kind of like, again, participation that's going on. And I think that like the medium of the day, the internet like demands, not just, not just nature, not just life, but like it's that demand of participation has become sort of like externalized and technologized into, into the medium of the day, you know, that comes kind of back to like what Marshall McLuhan said about the medium is the message, you know? And I think that that's, that's like hyper participation is, uh, is the message of, of like the internet and, and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. cryptocurrency, I guess, too. Sure, sure. Almost to a almost to a fault. You know, it's like it's so consuming. Yeah. Um, it can be, yeah. Particularly, particularly in this sort of you know the lockdown experience we've we've all kind of had for the last year, it really lets us know how much we long for that communication and we long for each. We love each other. We want to be humans yeah, yeah. together. We want to be. We want to see and be seen, and we maybe took for granted. Um, especially those of us living in colossal cities where, uh, you know, everyone's just on the, f- uh, kind of checked out or, or at least plugged into an, uh, another reality and not really aware of their surroundings. Um, right. I think we've been hyper aware of our surroundings, realized how reliant we are on each other for, uh, you know, our emotional states. Right. And, and 
I think it's brought new awareness to us um, as challenging as it, as it may be as challenging as it may have, have been over the last year. And then some, uh, yeah, there's some, there's something really being learned from this and what that is, is maybe beyond categorizing. I think the point is not to put it in a box and say, we've learned something. It's to feel more like you're saying, be more vulnerable. I couldn't agree more with that mm-hmm. and to really show up for each other uh, in a different way than what we've kind of fallen into the, you know, sleepy malaise of like, Oh, we all just kind of get by and it's going to be fine. Like, no, let's, let's sit with this uh, strangeness Mm -hmm. and see what it conjures in us, what kinds of collaboration uh, comes out of it, what kind of desire for the future we want to make rather than this idea of let's go back to the way it was. Like I certainly don't want to go back to the way that (laughs) culture was before all this. Um, Yeah. I don't think there is really going back, you know, maybe certainly isn't regardless. But there's, you know, you see this, you see this idea that we want to go back, you know, you hear it, at least in the, in the sort of mainstream people wanting things to go back to normal. Like, I think if we learn anything from this, it's like, there is no normal there. That's sort of a way to fall asleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's be present with how strange it is. Uh, let's see what arises in us day to day. And, you know, so many magical things seem to be coming from this. You know, it's really expansive as much as we're like compressed and contracted into our little, you know, kind of our own individual worlds. There's another way that we're, inversely completely expanding into what's possible absolutely it's sort of the idea of like empty yourself and you'll be filled with with you know spirit for instance it's sort of the opposite like compress yourself and you we're expanding Expand, into these yeah. new ways. so i wouldn't give that up for you know for the way that it used to be no yeah question. yeah i mean i think one of the best examples is is what we're doing right now you know like the way I kind of used to think about podcasting was that you had to do it in person, you know? And I think that like there are other forms of work that people are thinking the same way about. Like, I mean, with any, with any daring to hope we'll be less of a car dependent society now because people won't have to make hour and a half commutes one way and back to from their house to work every day. And, you know, and it, it actually makes to, you know, I guess like on a personal note or whatever, it actually makes podcasting like quite a bit easier. Um, it, the, the in-person thing is, is dope for sure. But I mean, when you have people who are present, like the artists that I interview or all have like a field of presence around them, that's kind of the reason why I choose them. Is they're able to kind of transcend this this weird quote unquote weird like little talking head on a screen and pick up on like subtle cues and and, and nuances and in, in the way we talk and man it's just been really fun and has made my life in terms of like thinking about and creating the podcast like quite a bit easier and my hope is that it it'll do the same for for plenty of other people. Absolutely. Well, and, and even setting yourself up to do a podcast and committing to that. I mean, just to kind of have a fractal loop back on looking on what you're doing while you're doing it. Yeah. Meta. Uh, 
It, yeah, for sure. It is a vulnerability. It is, you know, kind of trusting in the process. It is putting you in the field of, of intelligence and of ideas and of people and, and bringing you to a whole new level uh, in yourself. That's, you know, that's the evolutionary curve kind of wearing it on your, you know, wearing it on your sleeve in a way you're like, <laughs> I'm putting myself out there yeah. um, into situations that, that may have been uncomfortable at a certain time. I mean, I think it's really wonderful to, like you're saying, use your voice and to, to create conceptual worlds from literally out of thin air. I mean, yeah. for a long time, I had a commitment to say yes, unabashedly every time if there's a speaking engagement, presented if there's an opportunity to stand up in front of a crowd and and be vulnerable and be you know figure it out yeah uh, and certainly some extremely painful cringeworthy experiences have come through that yeah um, but what a you know what a sharpening tool that can be absolutely uh, to put yourself out there you know? i tried to uh, stand up comedy for a bit and I only did it three times and they were little open mics. So I got like five minutes, but man, I will tell you what, there is no dopamine hit like the one you get after making a bunch of random strangers laugh, like genuinely laugh. Nice. And, yeah. and it's, you know, like beforehand, like one of the ones I went to, I was one, one of the last people of like 30 or something like that. And so I had all this time to go from like being super nervous to being like, okay, everything's cool. And then like nervous again. And then like, no, it's all right. It's all right. You got this. And so it was like this cool kind of like, I don't know what you would call it. Sort of like psychologically uh, alchemical process of like building it up and then burning it off and like, you know, all your emotions and uh, getting up there and like, making mistakes, but then making fun of myself for making the mistake. And, um, I, I'd probably like to try it again. Uh, speaking of being multidisciplinary, but, um, I think the world needs a, a good laugh quite often. Um, more than ever really. Yeah. And what a, what a great way to sort of, I don't know, lighten our, our perspectives on ourselves, loosen up and yeah, make fun of yourself while you're making fun of yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How great. Oh, great. You know? Yeah. Well, I'd love to hear that. If you do again, I would be all, all ears on that. It'd be great. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about it is, is like, like I said, the dopamine rush was insane. Like I can't put into words just like, I guess just like how much of a champ I felt afterwards, you know, like, you know, there's playing music, there's, finishing a painting and I just put like using small mouth noises to make people giggle, like at the top of the list there in a way, in, in that kind of reward in a reward sense. So I could see how it would become like very addictive and to where I might just like push everything else out of the way and just be like, all right, jokes, let's go. So yeah, what a what a great art form. I mean, you're making it out of nothing, literally out of air. Mm-hmm. I guess that's not nothing, but you're mm-hmm. you're pulling it out of the ethers, the vapors, certainly. And uh, and you can wow, do that. With... You know, the the environmental the environmental impact is really light, at least. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, 
<laughs> Your carbon footprint's really good on that one. That's a good and bit. That, I'm going to write that down. No charge. No charge for that. Sure. I'll give you credit. I'll give you some royalties. No need. No need. No need whatsoever. Just crypto is fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll need your wallet address after this. So. Perfect. Well, man, I think that's a pretty good place to wrap up. I'll, I'll ask you one last question here. Sure. What would you say your superpower is? Oof, I knew it was coming because of some of your other ones. Yeah. My goodness. It's so hard to see ourselves sometimes. Um, lately, it's that I can blue streak. I mean, I could talk the ears off of pretty much, you know, any marsupial you could find. Um, <laughs> nice. But that's different. That's new. I mean, I used to to shy from that a, a lot and um, something I'm cultivating. And I, I've been really inspired by storytellers lately. And I kind of see that as an outgrowth of being able to teach and to talk and to stream endlessly Mm-hmm. Um, to opine endlessly um, would be to tell story, to weave a narrative, to weave mythos into back, to weave uh, mystery and mysticism back into into the fabric of our lives. So that is not a superpower of mine yet. That is a, like a, an aspiring superpower. Yeah, uh, it's like nascent, right? Yeah, it's something I'd like to develop. But speaking, like you're saying, has become something very. Uh, interesting weaving of words and and casting spells and you know learning about integrity through speech is something that i'm very interested in honing and uh yeah i don't know i think other people can see us better than we can i certainly have a very difficult time seeing the the multifaceted nature of of who i am but i'll give you one uh, you want me to reflect back if you must if you must (laughs) i I think that like you're really good at um just learning i think you're good at you know the learn teach dynamic and and from you know knowing you all these years now like i see you just like you're just not you, you have a lot of courage too like you're not afraid to like now you're doing palette knife paintings when i met you and I'm sure you're still doing these you're you're more traditional and refined and like you were saying that struggle and and I think that like being able to sort of step out of that struggle actually takes courage you know because I think we feel like we need to struggle in order to have like earned it you know but but yeah man I just really happy to know you and likewise thanks for that reflection that's great yeah I feel that. I feel that. Lifetime students, you know? That's, Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Soaking it in. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, brother. Great talking Total to you, David. Pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll uh, see you next time. Did they paint the painting? Plus, the painting itself. One will never know. One will never know.